This is Out of Office for Thursday the 30th of August 2012. The 7 Habits of Highly Effective Out-of-Office Workers. Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm feeling well, Gihan. How are you? I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. It's... And how's your month been? Good. It's been effective. Ah, that's good. That's good, because that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we've called this one The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Out-of-Office Workers. And we're doing this as a tribute to Stephen Covey, who uh, many people will have heard of. And he, he passed away a couple of months ago. He was very influential uh, in my life and the life of many other people. And uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was one of the best personal development and business development books that I ever read. It's it's still worth a read. So I run a business book club every month here in Perth. And our book club covered this book, actually the month before uh, Covey passed away. And we all found that even though the book was 20, going on 30 years old, the the ideas and the principles in there were still as relevant today as they were at the time that he wrote it. Right. So what we thought we'd do today was a bit of a tribute podcast to Stephen Covey. We're certainly not suggesting that the, the ideas that we've got are anywhere near the wisdom and insight that Stephen Covey can offer or offered in his book. What we're going to talk about are Stephen Covey's seven habits, but applied to out-of-office workers. So the way that he did it was he organized the habits in three groups. And the first three habits are about moving from dependence to independence. And the next three are about moving from independence to interdependence. And then he's got a final habit, the seventh habit, which is all about continual improvement. So we're going to take take them in turns. And uh, Chris, why don't you start off with habit number one? Okie dokie. Well, the first is about, it's called Be Proactive. And the way that that relates to an out-of-office worker specifically is that as an out-of-office worker, you have much more control over your work environment compared with people who work in a standard office situation. So, for instance, when you start work and when you end work, as well as the way that you structure your working hours in between, is something you've got more control over than uh, people who work nine to five as, as desk jockeys. And also, the way that you interact with your colleagues throughout the day is something that, again, you have a bit more control over than uh, if you're in an office where you're being called to meetings and so forth. And also, where you work is something that an out-of-office worker has a bit more control over. So you could be working from a home office, or you could be at an internet cafe, or down at a park, or you could be on the road traveling and having a bit of a working holiday. So with all of that increased flexibility comes uh, the need for greater responsibility and also you have to be a bit more self-disciplined than the standard office worker. So what are the things that uh, you need to be proactive about as an out-of-office worker? Well, one of the most important ones is that you need to be focused on achieving particular outcomes rather than just turning up for work and counting how many hours you've done. Also, in order to maintain focus, it's important that throughout your working day that you take regular breaks. So if you're using something like the Pomodoro technique, then that happens naturally. You work for bursts of, say, 30 to 40 minutes, and then you have a five-minute break. And this helps you maintain a kind of mental freshness and keep you focused and productive. There's a bit of a misconception that out-of-office workers slack off because uh, they don't have people watching over them. But uh, the converse, the actual 
data suggests that the opposite is true, that because out-of-office workers have access to their working resources, be it their home office or online resources for working, that they tend to work harder than, uh, than is expected of them. Uh, so it's important to draw a line at the end of the day, so structure working day, know when you're going to finish the day and at that time. Uh, shut the door behind you, both mentally and uh, physically, if you've got a home office, and stop working at that point rather than ducking back into the office and doing another hour's work in the evening, for instance. In a standard office environment, then the office managers usually uh, tasked with making sure that you've got comfortable and ergonomic furniture, but that falls to you as an out-of-office worker to make sure that you set up your workplace in a way that means you've got a, an ergonomic workstation, that uh, you're looking after your eyes and not causing yourself eye strain, and uh, you know, you're not spending eight hours a day hunched over a laptop at the, uh, at the kitchen bench, for instance. Also, in a, uh, a standard office environment, you might have an IT department who takes care of things like computer security and doing backups and disaster prevention. As an out-of-office worker, this sort of responsibility usually will fall to you. So make sure you've got the technical measures in place like firewalls and antivirus software and operating system updates and online backups and all the stuff that goes along with that uh, in place, as well as making sure that you're mentally switched on so you're not falling for uh, email and phishing scams. You also need to um, have the kind of paperwork in place, like uh, your insurances, be it uh, professional indemnity insurances and insuring your home office and your equipment, as well as making sure that you're taking care of keeping your expenses for office and work um, expenses separate from your personal expenses. And finally, when you're uh, collaborating with your colleagues and clients, uh, you need to be a bit proactive there. You need to take the initiative and make sure, for instance, that roles and responsibilities on a particular project are agreed to in advance by all the people concerned and that deadlines for deliverables are well understood. And it seems like there's a whole lot of stuff that you have to take into account when you're, when you're out of office work and it all comes under that, the category of being proactive, doesn't it? That's right. Uh, who would do it, Gihan? There's a lot to keep in mind. <laughs> And I also found it interesting that that be proactive was Covey's uh, habit number one. And I'm sure he thought very carefully about what order to put them in, because habit number two, which is the one we're going to talk about next, is begin with the end in mind. And it seems almost like that should be habit number one, because it it should be about figuring out, figuring out your goals and your mission statement first. But I think it makes sense that you have to be a proactive person first before you can, in our case, like, become an out-of-office worker, and then make sure that you do understand what, what the end is. Uh, and most of us who choose an out-of-office work style do it because it helps us achieve other goals in our life. So it's not just that we go to an office and work for eight hours and then go home and then look at our other goals. It's that the, the work style is part of our life. So it's not work-life balance. It's, a, it's actually work is part of life. So we're looking for things like more convenience, more comfortable work environment, uh, the freedom to travel and work from anywhere, uh, more time with family and friends. Uh, if you've been working in an out-of-office work style for some time, just remember to reconnect with your original goals and be, just be sure that you're, what you're doing at the moment in your work style is still aligned with them because it's easy for, for things to drift to drift a bit. Uh, so make sure that you're still on track with these goals. For example, uh, you mentioned earlier, Chris, that one of the traps for an out-of-office worker is that you might actually work too hard, which means that even though you might have started with the intent that you get to spend more time with family, 
Uh, you may find that you're working early in the morning before the kids go to school and early in the evening after they come back from school and you actually don't get the time with family that you were that you originally intended. So make sure that you do that. Make sure you reconnect with those original goals and remember that end. Uh, as Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. And of course, with out-of-office workers, there's quite often other people involved as well. So it may be a partner, it may be a family, there may be friends, even your boss, and make sure that you involve them in this process of understanding your original goals and making sure that they're aligned with that as well and happy with that as well. Very good. So Covey's third habit is to put first things first. So as an out-of-office worker, this relates to how you manage your time and structure your work. He, uh, Covey urges people to focus on what's most important, not merely what's urgent. And when it comes to working out of office, sometimes uh, it seems that things are both urgent and important. So it's, impo- it's, it's important to make the distinction and understand which is which. Uh, and Covey has this great expression that uh, when we stay focused, we need to ensure that we don't major in minors. So how do we do this as an out-of-office worker? Well, one of the ways you can do achieve this is to make sure that you've planned the things that you're going to work on. So this happens at various timescales. So you can have a daily plan. Uh, so I, us- I usually have a to-do list that is um, ordered occur- according to what's important rather than necessarily what's urgent. And then longer term as well, you can have a weekly pan- plan, what you want to achieve in the coming month and extend that even out to quarterly and yearly plans if, if they're needed. It's also important to have rules for handling interruptions. And I mentioned the Pomodoro technique earlier, and this has uh, a set of rules for what to do if during a Pomodoro session you are interrupted, whether you need to defer it or handle it immediately, or whether you need to kind of eliminate that kind of interruption in future. Uh, So make sure that you have these things in mind so that you know what to do when you get interrupted during a work session. You can also uh, have rules for how you handle particular email messages because a lot of people seem to send email for urgent communications, whereas if you're an out-of-office worker, you're probably not uh, letting email interrupt you. And so people who are using email for urgent communications are going to miss the opportunity to have urgent tasks dealt with. So it's important to set up uh, communication channels correctly such that important and urgent messages go via the phone or instant messaging instant messaging and conversely you're not uh, interrupting people with a phone call uh, when an email message would suffice yeah and i think one of the most useful things that i got out of the book when i originally read it uh, was this idea of planning not just on a daily basis but on a weekly basis and so i do that now chris and you just mentioned about how to handle interruptions and sometimes things get in the way uh, regardless of how well you do your planning it doesn't mean that your day is going to pan out the way that you planned at the start so having a weekly plan i found has been very effective and has certainly reduced my stress and frustration so for yesterday for example i had certain Uh, two big tasks that I had planned to do uh, yesterday morning but as it turned out a client called and we had to uh, I had to divert my attention and my focus to working with her on a project that she was working on and it meant that I didn't get those two tasks done that uh, yesterday in fact I got about half of one of them done which means that I had one and a half still to be done today but because this is uh, my my 
plan is that they're going to get done this week rather than necessarily uh, today or yesterday, it makes it easier for me to say, okay, I've still got time to allocate during the week. So I find that weekly planning thing was really useful, especially as an out-of-office worker now where I, I do get interrupted and I do get interrupted with important things, uh, not just urgent, unimportant things. Yeah, and I think that's important, Gihan. So you dealt with something immediately because it was urgent, but you knew that uh, the thing that you're working on could be deferred because it had a, a, a weekly time scale associated with it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and returning to um, uh, the, the previous point about how you handle interruptions, you can also lead by example. So uh, the people that you work with, you'd hope that they would work in a similar way, for example, when it, as I mentioned, using email, you don't want them emailing your urgent stuff, you don't want them phoning you or instant messaging you for stuff that's not so urgent. So you can lead by example by setting up the communication channels that uh, you think should be used uh, and also educating your colleagues to do likewise. Great, great. And as we said at the start, those first three habits are about yourself. It's about moving from being a dependent person to being an independent person. So in summary, they were be proactive, begin with the end in mind and put first things first. The next three are about dealing with other people. And you, you led on nicely to that, Chris, because you're talking about how you coach your clients and colleagues. So habit number four is thinking win-win. And this is a really interesting one and a really important one when you're working out of office because when you're not working in the same office as your colleagues or your clients, it's easy for simple things to cause conflicts. So just a couple of examples that you might find that a, a colleague in the office calls an important meeting that you can't attend in person because you it happens to be one of your out of office days or you may be all the time out of office or your manager is complaining that she can't get in touch with you during normal working hours just because you don't observe normal working hours uh, or a client insists on using the phone for discussing things that they can easily resolve by email instead. So those sort of situations quite often don't affect in-office workers because they're all in the same environment, but they can, uh, they can affect us as out-of-office workers and they can just be little small niggling things, but eventually resentment and frustration builds up. And there are, there are a couple of options here. So you could give in, but Kavi would call that lose-win because they get what they want, but it's at your expense. Or you can just uh, hold firm and refuse to change, but that's win-lose because it's the other way around. You get what you want, but they don't. And, and both of those options cause resentment and friction somewhere down the line. So look for options where you both get what you want, and that's what Kavi calls win-win. And sometimes it's actually surprisingly easy to make everybody happy. So if I go back to those examples that I, that I mentioned earlier, so let's say colleagues are calling meetings that you can't attend in person. Well, tell them the days that you're available for in-person meetings so that they can schedule them on those days if possible, because they will generally, if they know, they'll try to do the right thing by you. It's just that they may not know or they may not think about it. But if you make it front of mind for them, then they will and they'll, they'll try to accommodate you. Uh, if you've got a manager who's uh, trying to always get in touch with you and make sure and uh, monitor that you're available during normal working hours, uh, maybe you just need to work with them and just educate them that, you know, you're going to you're going to achieve the results regardless of the hours that you're working. And maybe you need to start by working those fixed hours and make sure that you deliver results on time or ahead of time and then gradually move move away from that so that they, so your manager starts understanding that you are still going to deliver uh, on time and on budget and um, you know even ahead of time if necessary, uh, even if you're not working the exact same hours as everybody else in the office. Um, and the third example, if you've got clients who insist on using phone or instead of email or vice versa, maybe all you need to do is schedule a reg regular phone call with them so that you have a short, sharp, 
phone call, let's say once a week, where for 10 or 15 minutes you discuss the issues that are coming up this week, and that's all they need, because they just need to hear your voice, and then after that they're happy to communicate by email. Now, I'm not saying those, are the, those solutions will work for everyone, but Stephen Covey's point is look for a win-win solution rather than giving in, which is lose-win, or refusing to change, which is win-lose. Very good. And Covey's fifth habit is seek first to understand and then to be understood. So it's about listening. And from the point of view of an out-of-office worker, it's really important that uh, because often we're communicating through channels like email or text messaging or phone, and we don't have the kinds of subtle cues that you'd otherwise observe if you're having a face-to-face conversation with someone. So things like facial expressions, the tone of someone's voice, uh, or or physical gestures aren't available to you as an out-of-office worker when you're communicating remotely. So it means you have to be a a bit more diligent when you're communicating with others to actually listen closely to what's being said. So you can be explicit uh, about getting that kind of information from the people you're communicating with by actually asking, uh, for instance, at the beginning of a phone call or a meeting, what it is the others want to achieve. And you can actually listen out and look for those subtle cues. Sometimes they're not so not so subtle uh, regarding the, the emotion and intent behind the words that the people are using. And if you need to, again, be explicit. Ask for clarification if you're not sure exactly what the other person's talking about, if they're being unclear or ambiguous. And that's the listening and hearing part. The other aspect of this particular habit is once you've got all that information by listening closely to what's being said to you, is to then examine that information from the perspective of the other people involved. So put yourself in their shoes and assess the information from their point of view, not just from your own point of view, and then you're in a much better position to understand what's being said and how it affects the others involved. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of stories of people who inadvertently sent email or sent a text that they, as soon as they press the send button, they wish they could take it back. (laughs) I remember once uh, I was working with a client, one of my early clients, and a very good client and somebody I had a very good relationship with. And he asked for something, uh, an enhancement to some software. And I wrote back and said, what's the urgency on this? In other words, I wanted to know what the deadline was. But he kind of took it as a bit of a, like, so, so what's the urgency? Why, why, are, you, why are you pestering me with this? Right? And it's an example of where the, the tone was completely different than what I'd intended. But it just reminded me that I need to be careful uh, of the, the tone in which it might be interpreted and uh, put myself in their shoes and think if I was reading this, could I possibly misinterpret it? And it sounds like a lot of work. With every email, you have to think about what the other person's reading. But after a while, it becomes a habit that you start using this sort of language where there isn't there isn't that ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, another example, I remember saying uh, where I'd sent a document to somebody and they replied back and they obviously hadn't got it. And uh, for some reason, it got lost in their email. And I sent back an, another email saying, I, I resent that. But uh, it it was uh, read at the other end as I resent that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I've always made sure that ever since then I've put a hyphen in whenever yes. I say resent, and also resigned just, and resigned. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I never went that far. Well, maybe that's why I lost my last job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, Gihan, also with the um, increased prevalence of video channels for communication, whether we're going to have 
more uh, higher higher fidelity one to one and one to many conversations. So some of those cues are going to be available to us, but I think we still have to be vigilant in and diligent in the way that we communicate, even even if it is uh, involving video and audio. I think you're right. I think that as we as we progress with better bandwidth and better technology, we will get to the stage where we're doing more video conversations and video communication. But actually, this, this is interesting because it's leading into what I was going to say next with Habit 6. But we still have to be good at communicating when we're not trying to simply reproduce the face-to-face in-person situation because that's not always going to be the case. And, and more and more, we're going to be communicating and collaborating in situations where we're not sitting in front of the other person, where we're not uh, belly-to-belly with them, as I've heard some yeah. people say. And that's a good thing. In some ways, there's, there, are, there are some advantages to that. Yeah. So, in fact, let's talk about that, because Habit 6 uh, is Stephen Covey's habit, Synergize, which is actually, it's not just about collaborating and working together. It's about looking at the differences and taking advantage of those differences to create something better. So the the management speak around that. I mean, if, even synergy is, a, is kind of a, like a management speak word, but you, you sometimes hear people say one plus one equals three, which for for the two of us, Chris, who have maths degrees, that's <laughs> that's a bit painful sometimes. But you get the point. It's the, the idea is that you don't just say, okay, let's work together and make one plus one equals two, but actually let's use our differences to find to find some advantages. And when you're working in an out-of-office work style, sometimes because of the differences, you can turn them to your, uh, you can make them into benefits. So sometimes, yeah, sure, it's harder to work together. And you, as you said, Chris, there are things like video that can make it easier and make it seem more like you're in the office. But also don't just stop at that point. Look at some of the advantages that you get from working out of office and find better solutions for everyone. So for example, uh, you know this all the time, Chris, because you work in a very different time zone than your colleagues. So there's probably what what's between six and eight hours difference, depending on the time of year, That's between right. you and your colleagues. So you're working yeah. in different time zones, which means that sometimes when they're asleep, you're working and vice versa, which means that you've got a longer working day combined. So sometimes you can actually be more productive as a team because you're working a 14-hour day and sometimes even a 24-hour day because you might have three teams around the world and you're kind of working around the clock, but everyone's only really working an eight-hour shift. And you don't have to worry about things like people working night shifts and things like that because they're they're working during their day. So that's an example where an out-of-office work style can actually be beneficial to productivity. As an out-of-office worker, because online collaboration is more important, you can also help your other in-office workers uh, learn to use and uh, implement online collaboration tools. So even if most of your uh, colleagues and clients work in an office most of the time, it might be handy for them to know how to use things like Skype and their webcam for video conferencing or their get get a good microphone for uh, and headset for audio conferencing because they might be traveling from time to time. And those are the times when it's actually handy for them to be able to use some of these out-of-office tools so that they can uh, they can be as effective and productive when they're occasionally out of office, whereas people like us might be most of the time out of office, but we can teach them how to use those things. And, of course, some of the things that we've talked about, like the productivity tools and the productivity habits, might be really useful in an office because many offices are very inefficient and unproductive. So, you know, you might start a habit that everyone starts meetings on, everyone turns up to meetings to start on time because you expect that people are going to turn up to your online meetings on time. uh, And therefore, people might just adopt that habit in the office as well. We can always wish. 
We can. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're right, Gihan, uh, to, on the previous point that more people who are office workers are starting to spend time working out of office. So the kinds of uh, work shifting habits that we have are going to become more powerful, not just when they're working in the office, but also when they're occasionally working out of the office as well. And I think yes, and I think the occasional is the key there because when you're work, working occasionally out of the out of office, you may not be set up for that. This is where we, as out of office workers, can actually help our clients and colleagues who do that occasionally because we're doing it full time. I and mean, it's something simple like having a phone number that people can reach you on everywhere uh, is something that if you're if you're occasionally travelling, you may not think about, but. If you have out-of-office workers who can help you with that, then you can set up, set up yourself so that when you are occasionally out of office, you can actually be as contactable and as productive if you want to be. That's right. Okay, so Covey's final habit is sharpen the saw, and it comes from uh, the phrase, which you probably heard, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I would spend seven hours sharpening the saw. In fact, you'd probably spend five hours, five minutes phoning a professional tree lopper in there. Time <laughs> watching sport on TV or something. You'd ask us to India. <laughs> yes, perhaps you would. <laughs> uh, but uh, the expression itself is about uh, continual improvement and working on yourself, not just your work. And most people who work in a standard office environment, they have access to things that uh, work would set up for them, like professional development, uh, where they'd be sent off to conferences or attend courses or go on team building exercises and activities. Um, that uh, might not be available to you as an out-of-office worker. Some of the more progressive workplaces even have uh, gyms associated with the works with the workplace, and have canteens that serve uh, healthy and nutritious food. These things are all going to fall to you when you're working out of office. So it's really important that uh, you make sure that you're getting plenty of exercise and you're having a healthy lunch and that you're taking care of your own professional development. So attend courses occasionally and make sure you subscribe to really important blogs like the Out of Office blog or the Out of Office podcast and reading great ebooks like the Out of Office book and so on. But uh, these things are going to fall to you. So it's important that when you're an out of office worker that you're taking care of continually improving yourself sharpening the saw, so to speak, uh, and um, making sure that uh, the way that you work can be improved as well. Yeah, great, great. And I think that there is there is some research at the moment that shows that that, that old adage of out of sight, out of mind uh, does still apply in many workplaces where managers and uh, organizations are just not used to having out-of-office workers. And even though that is gr- the, the trend for out-of-office work is growing, it's still the minority, it's still the exception rather than the rule. So it's very easy for your managers and your, your organization in general to just uh, forget about you and neglect you. And it's not because they intentionally try to uh, forget about you, but it's just because you're not on their radar. So you need to take care of some of those things. That's right, Gia. And I guess we've come full circle in that it's very much like the first habit that Covey mentioned, and probably why it is the first one, of being proactive. So this is something you have to be proactive about and take the lead on in that you have to manage your managers in a way, because otherwise uh, you, you are at this stage susceptible to being out of sight and out of mind. Yep. Yep, exactly. So as you say, we've come full circle and that's a nice way to wrap up, Chris. So we've covered the six, the seven habits. So let's go through them again. So it's be proactive, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, think win-win, seek first to understand, then to be understood, synergize, and finally sharpen the saw. So uh, I should mention that I wrote a blog post about this and I've submitted it to the WorkShifting website. So if you go to workshifting.com, it's actually, well, it's a great 
blog and website for any out of office workers. And uh, I'm, I've become recently a, a regular blogger to that. Or I've just submitted my first couple and I'll be uh, writing blog posts regularly. But one I wrote recently was exactly this Seven Habits of Highly Effective Work Shifters. Uh, and we covered these, uh, so uh, we covered exactly these seven habits. So if you'd like to know more, please just check out the Work Shifting uh, blog. Uh, the, the blog post may not have appeared yet, but I do recommend that you subscribe to the workshifting.com site, to the blog, because it's a great blog to subscribe to anyway. It is indeed. I can second that, Gihan. I subscribe and have got great value from it. Yeah, great. And I guess uh, you mentioned in passing, Chris, our out-of-office books. I guess we should mention that again. Uh, So it's available at outofofficebook.com. We've only got a few copies left, so we've drastically reduced the price. I think, what did we say? It was $20 plus GST, isn't it, Chris? I think so, yes. Yep. Great. And we have only got a few copies left. But of course, you can get the, the ebook version as well. And you can get uh, the you can subscribe to our podcast if you're if you're not already subscribed. So you can get all of that from outofofficebook.com. Very good. Another great podcast, Gihan. Yep. And here's to a highly effective month and year. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.